All right. Today, we're going to do a message on generous justice. If you're listening to the songs today, a lot of our message is in these songs. Um, I get the opportunity to share a message with a young man who we've been working together for a few months now on doing a message together. And I look forward to doing this. We're going to be speaking out of the book of Isaiah today. So normally, a series out of Isaiah takes probably six weeks for a pastor. So I hope you packed your lunch and your supper. We're going to be here a while. So, <laughs> But uh, this message that we're going to do today talks about Isaiah. And if you don't know who Isaiah was, Isaiah is an 8th century BC prophet who's well known for his prophecies of speaking of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah's message is relatively simple. First, Isaiah accuses God's people of sin and rebellion from the one who redeemed them. And this is what Ethan is going to be speaking about this morning. Uh, Second, Isaiah is instructed these sinners to reform their ways to obedience. Third, Isaiah announces God's judgment on the people because of their sin. And finally, God revealed his future restoration of the people, at least for the ones who are able to make it through the judgment. So, Ethan, if you'd like to come on up here, I introduce you. This is Ethan Hall. Hello. (laughs) And out of his generosity, since our series is on generosity, he's given up some time and did some good studying on the word. And he's going to take you through uh, some judgment on, on Jerusalem and Judea. So are you ready, Ethan? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Take her away, buddy. Okay. <laughs> so in the time of Isaiah in Jerusalem, the people have done very terrible things that can't go without punishment. They were doing evil things like performing occult practices, like snake charming, worshiping, worshiping false idols, talking to spirits of the dead instead of God, and leaders were doing very unjust things to the people. They also said things that denied the Lord's existence. The people put women above worship and and did terrible acts to get women. God will make a ruling people a terrible thing. In Isaiah 3, 6 through 7, it says, A man will see one of his brothers in his father's house and say, You have a cloak. You be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But on that day he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. God will reward the righteous and give everyone the fruit of their deeds. The Lord will judge against the elders and leaders of the people, which have plundered and killed the poor. God will put boils on the women of Zion and make their scalps bald. He will take away their jewelry and garments. God will replace everything that is good with bad and send armies to Jerusalem their men will die. There are many problems going on today that are similar to what happened in Israel. Today, many people lust over women and people put many things before God, like electronics, work, school, relationships, food, and hobbies. This is idolatry. Just like the corrupt elders throughout history, powerful figures today oppress the weak and the poor to get what they want. King Leopold II of Belgium oppressed the natives of the Congo to get money for himself and gave none of it to his country. And it has become very common for people to openly do evil and think it's not wrong. 
as punishment for their crimes, God will send fl the floodwaters of the Euphrates to the city of Assyria to punish the king of Assyria who have plundered the poor, which will destroy all of the Assyrian banks and will sweep through Judah. The water will be neck deep and will destroy everything in its path. God will send powerful armies to conquer Israel and the nations around it. The people of Israel consult the spirits instead of consulting God. And so he'll send zombies throughout the world. In verse 821, it says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam throughout the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. He, God will destroy the head and tail of Israel, which is described in Isaiah 9.15. The elders and dignitaries are the head, and the prophets who teach lies are the tail. He will punish everyone who is ungodly and every mouth that speaks of wickedness, no matter who they are. God describes further what he'll do in Isaiah 9.19 through 12. By the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched, and the people will be the fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. On the right they will devour, but still be hungry, and on the left they will eat, but not be satisfied. Each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. He will punish those who will make unjust laws, make oppressive decrees, and deprive the poor of their rights. But throughout history, many world leaders have made very unjust laws to, and create oppressive decrees to get what they want. A horrible example is Stalin after World War II. Stalin made many weird and unjust laws that were targeted on the poor people of the nation so he can get work done in the gulags. He created many fake laws to force people to work for him for no money, and although it benefited the nation, it killed millions of people. There is human trafficking slavery even today, especially women and children being used in many horrible ways. In biblical times, Jerusalem was a city of fulfillment, a city concerning many prophecies that would change the world. But there was another city that was very evil called Babylon. Babylon is given the name the city of idols, and it is the city of Satan. And this city will lead to the world into the end times. God punished the king of Babylon because of his pride and evil deeds he did. God sent a wasting disease to the king's soldiers and sent an inferno to burn everything in its path. God's prophet Isaiah describes the destruction in Isaiah 10, 18 through 19. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields, it will completely destroy, as when a sick person wastes away, and remaining trees and forests will be so few that a child can write them down. He will make the people of Babylon face terrible pain and darken the sun's stars. He describes the result after he enacted his judgment in Isaiah 13, 12. I will make the people scarcer than pure gold. Whoever will be captured by God's army will fall by the sword and will have no compassion against the citizens of Babylon. He will destroy Babylon as he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and will never be inhabited again until the Antichrist comes at the end. He will call on Israel and take possession of the nations and make them the servants of the Lord's will. He will make the captives the captors and the oppressive rule of the oppressors. All the kings of Babylon that tried to rise up in an attempt to be God will be sent down to the depths of hell. Only the servants of the Lord will live. Currently, Babylon is being rebuilt, and many nations are funding the rebuilding of the city. The purpose of the recreation of it is for tourism, but the Bible says in Revelation that the recreation of Babylon is the trigger to the end times. God will be the, Babylon will be the city of commerce, science, technology, and evil which will result in the rise of the Antichrist and the end of the world. 
Many of these things are happening right now in a general way. There is, evil, there is an evil attitude that human wealth and wisdom is our salvation. God wants us to be humble and dependent on him. Whenever people are used and God is ignored, there's spiritual danger. Isaiah lets us know, and it's always been that way, and it's still true. All right, thank you, Ethan. Did a great job, buddy. All right, Ethan talked about a lot of injustice that was taking place in the first half of Isaiah. And you can find that in the first half, and all the way from uh, Isaiah chapters 1 all the way up to 39. Talks a lot about injustice. But also, the first half talks about some justice. People starting to turn around. It's easy to talk about justice. We might sit together and talk about justice over a cup of coffee. Or remind each other how serious the matter of justice really is. And sometimes, we so easily choose to compartmentalize things. We put issues of justice in one part of our lives, and we don't let it affect other parts of our lives. So let's see how the people of Israel did this. I'm going to start in Isaiah 58, read verses 1, 2, and 3. Shout it, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to those, the house of Jacob, their sins. Verse 2, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does not know right and has forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and they have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed Yet, on the day of our fasting, you do all these things and exploit all your workers. Well, in the first three verses, God speaks of how Israel is seeking God. They seem eager to know his ways. Like a nation that does what's right and has forsaken God's commands. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near me. They practice fasting of self-denial and humility. And then they wonder why God hasn't noticed them. Because they go through the proper prescribed religious rituals, but seem like God's not paying any attention to them. See, the problem is, God says that they have separated being from doing. They have compartmentalized worship. They, they compartmentalize worship to one part of their lives and have not let it impact the rest of their lives. They follow a ritual, but not live in a life of obedience, of faithful surrender to the Lord God. See, God sees through the outward religious practices that they were doing. He sees their whole lives where they were doing all these actions that contradicted God's will. Your fasting doesn't honor me. You do as you please. You don't fast to draw closer to me. 
Your fast ends with fighting and quarreling. You leave church on a Sunday morning and you gossip over a cup of coffee. It happens. You sing holiness and you say your prayers in a sanctuary. And then you leave and argue and continue your grudge and sneer insults at one another. God does not accept those that go through the motions of religious practices, but don't really mean it in their hearts. God is not fooled by superficial worship. He wants to see action. Religious rituals, they're so easy to keep. God wants them to be backed up by a greater evidence of a personal commitment to him. Come on, think about it. God doesn't want Sunday Christians. He wants people to live their faith every single day. Jesus reinforces these words from Isaiah in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But forget about practicing superficial religion with its outward niceties and special rituals. Get in the heart of the matter. Be committed to doing the will of the Father. So what is his will? His will is to take care of those who are suffering, to comfort the widow, to give to the hungry, to break the yoke of injustice. The challenge is further reinforced in the Apostle James. Chapter 2, verse 14. He shows how foolish it is to think that someone can have faith without deeds. What good is it to say to the hungry person, go, I wish you well, be well fed, without doing anything about their need? Faith without deeds is dead. Show your faith without deeds and I will show you the faith by what I do. See, that would be like going to a restaurant and you get a window seat and you're looking outside and you get a nice big meal and you know when you get into a restaurant, they always give you way too much food. You end up taking a box home with you. But you look out the window and you see a homeless person outside that window who probably hasn't eaten in days, maybe weeks. And they're waiting for the extras to get dumped into the dumpster. So they go dumpster diving. That's where we need to sit there and change our hearts. If you see somebody out there how simple is it to pack that box up of your leftovers and take it out and give it to them? Or better yet, maybe go out to that person and invite them in and have a meal with them and pay for their meal. That's what God wants us to do. You can't just talk about what you believe. You must do something about it. Being and doing belong together. You can't put faith in one compartment of your life and, and maybe put work and another, and also put school in another, and maybe a bit of justice in another. See, this faith is God, is faith in God is who you are. It impacts your whole life. And if that's Ethan's putting these up here, your faith is in the middle. 
You needed to let it impact all these things. It needs to unpack your worship. It needs to unpack your work. It needs to unpack your friendship. It needs to unpack your justice. It needs to flow through each one of these. And when you can get that right, it'll flow out of you and your blessings have received on others. God desires is that the people are concerned for those who are suffering. Stand up against injustice. Set the oppressed free in verse seven of Isaiah. It says, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wandering with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Verse 10, spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry. God says, spend yourself. Do you know what that means? It means to give of yourself, whether it's your time, your money, or your energy. Justice means generosity. What will it cost you? Will it be a financial donation? Will it be an increase in giving to the ministries of the church? Will it be choosing a particular ministry to decide to give a specific amount to every month? Yes, sometimes justice has a financial cost. Justice can also have a different personal cost. Perhaps God wants you to use your own knowledge and wisdom to work against injustice and oppression in our society. It's easy to complain about what the government's doing. The Republicans are doing this. The Democrats are doing that. And we get caught up in it. But maybe you have some just decisions, some good ideas. And what a better way to put them to use is to back it up with some concrete suggestions and maybe send it to your congressman or send it to the government. They do listen. At least we hope they do. (laughs) Or perhaps... Maybe it's given some time to help at the local food bank. I know the community place here on Washington Street's always looking for volunteers or even looking for people to donate food. And our church is very generous in this. We do donate money to that food bank, but we can give our time also. If you need something to do, please contact them. Or maybe it's you have a gift of building or doing repairs. There might be somebody in the congregation who needs some repairs at their home. They can't afford to hire somebody, but you got that talent. Use it and help them. Perhaps the Lord is calling you in special ministry, like a mission field. Don't be so quick to deny it. God expects us to use what we are given. He says to give of ourselves for those who are suffering, for the hungry, the needy, the oppressed, and the sorrowing. It might make, it might be making regular visits, maybe to the seniors of our home who can't be here on a Sunday morning. Take the time to go sit with them. Maybe it's going to a nursing home like Masonic Village out here. We have a lot of people from our church that are in there and they can't get out. Spend time with them. Man, they love just for people to come and sit and listen to them. They enjoy it. I love going and visiting with myself and just hearing their stories. And that's a part of being it, is you gotta be a good listener. Listen to them, don't make it about you. Be a good listener. Maybe living generously, well, there's a lot of us that are living this generous life right now. And praise God, thank you. 
Thank you for that. I want to say thank you for being an example and an encouragement of justice lived out through your generosity. Into this faithful and generous life, God speaks about amazing and wonderful blessings. Verse 8, 9, and 10 has this powerful word in it, then. Spend yourselves, live generously, and something will happen. Then. Then your light will break forth like a dawn. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs. He will strengthen your frame. Verse 11, you will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose water never fails. Yes, the needy are the first to benefit from our generosity. And we will also experience God's blessings. When we, as God's people, give of ourselves, God answers our prayers. You ever think about it? And I actually shared something to Pastor Nick that I got saw on Facebook the other day. There was a thing in there that said, Maybe God is using you by answering someone else's prayers. You showing up at their home and sitting with them, spending time with them. That is God answering someone else's prayers. Think about it. You feeding somebody else is answering somebody else's prayers. Be filled like a well-watered garden or a spring whose water never fails, overflowing with blessings and generosity for others. Therefore, do not be afraid to pour yourselves out. We must not be afraid that we give too much of ourselves for the other's needs. God's gonna take care of us. God gave himself. Here I am in Jesus. Consider how Jesus poured himself out for the hungry. Jesus did not give clothes or money. He gave the ultimate gift of his own life by dying on a cross. We are the hungry. We're hungering for salvation, oppressed by our sins, needy for forgiveness. Jesus spent himself to satisfy our hungry, to free us from our sin and oppression, and to satisfy our needs. And you know what? When I'm conflicted from being and doing, I'd like to look back and reflect of what Jesus Christ did for me, his generosity of being on a cross. I sit there and look at this cross back here and I see a lot of people wear these nice crosses around their neck and they're nice and shiny. But that cross that I remember, there was nothing shiny about it. You think about what Jesus went through. Kicked, beaten, punched, spat upon, and then whipped so severely with bone that was thrown into straps with metal in it and torn him apart. They couldn't even recognize him as he picked up his cross and carried it up a hill. He was unrecognizable. The generosity that Jesus Christ poured out for us, that's the cross I remember. I remember a cross by looking at it that is soaked in his blood to wash away our sins. That's the generosity of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So when you get conflicted with from being and actually helping somebody out, think about what your father did for you. These blessings are promised by God to be a light and a healing, a garden and a spring of waters in our generous living. It is our light and our healing. His life that flows through us. So live generously. Spend yourself for others, sharing God's generous blessings. Father, I want to thank you today for your generous, your generous life you gave to us, for satisfying our needs and being there for when we need you, Father. Father, I hope you're speaking to our hearts today that we will share more with others, that we'll love others. We'll take the time to go to the nursing homes. We'll take the time to see the ones that are hurting, Father. I thank you for a young man this morning, Ethan, willing to share the word of God. Thank you, Father, for using him. Father, I ask you to bless each and every one of us today that you open our hearts to be more generous. And I ask this in your name. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.